I'm Erica Lynn, and we all know the ocean is the most demanding environment on Earth, consistently testing the reliability and durability of our equipment. When you spend as much time fishing as I do, you know that reliable gear is essential for staying on the water. This is why I went with Abyss Battery to power my trolling motor, electronics, and outboard. The guys at Abyss Battery are rattling the saltwater industry by manufacturing performance marine batteries specifically designed for sonar, outboards, trolling motors, and electronic fishing reels. They're also Bluetooth compatible, so I found Checking battery statuses right on your phone while you're out on the water is a huge game changer. To learn more about why Abyss batteries are used by the pros and factory installed by Premier Boat Builders, visit abyssbattery.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. Podcasters represent a diverse community of creative and curious folks who utilize this platform to express themselves and hopefully inform and entertain an audience. Like YouTube, podcasting is open to anyone with a notion of being a content creator. However, like YouTube, marketing and monetization is a whole nother ball of wax. Sometimes, usually late on a Sunday night when I'm editing a podcast after freelancing all week, I ask myself, why do I do this? Then I remember all of the great connections that we've made and the friendships we developed via the February Room. People like my guests tonight on the of the Working Class Fishing Podcast, John Morris and Brian Keachley. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Yeah, it's a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, we're happy to be here. This is super exciting. <laughs> I know. And I'm sure you guys both have never said, why do we do this podcast? Because as much energy goes into it, sometimes it's like, let's get the ball rolling. It's a lot of work. And we I should let our listeners know you guys are different states so i can't even imagine the amount of coordination that comes together to make the working uh class fishing podcast come together and we will talk a little bit more about your podcast but you know as a february as a february room always starts off we start off with a fishing story and you guys do a good job telling fishing stories so let's hear one and um if you guys don't mind like introducing yourself so our listeners can maybe hear a voice to the name. Okay, I'll go first. <laughs> hey, what's up, everybody? Uh, I'm John Morris. Uh, I live in Texas. For fishing story, I think I want to talk about brook trout. 
which is wild because gar is like my favorite fish, but Appalachian mountains or Appalachian, however you want to say. I was up there with my buddy Aaron and Sean, and there was just this the the first spot we pulled up to. Um, you know, we we're way back in the boonies. We had lost cell service. I met this guy on Instagram. I don't actually know him, right? And uh, it was just he was like, "Hey, uh, you know, we all meet up, me, Sean, and Aaron." And I didn't know Sean at all. Like I was like, "I'm if I die, it's gonna be back here in this holler." And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we uh we start off on this uh you know uh the the fellowship if you will the the quest for brook trout the uh we get up this winding road and it's it's wide enough for one vehicle and we're going up this and i'm looking down and it's quite literally it's it's a hollow we're driving up the mountains and uh all i could think of is just please don't let this gravel road give out we finally make it to the top of the parking spot. And I kept asking Aaron, I was like, dude, uh, how far is it? He's like, man, it's like two miles, just, just two miles, no big deal. And we finally make it up there. And I was like, man, that was like the longest two miles of my life to get to this parking spot. We get up there and we're all, you know, like putting our gear together and all this nonsense. And um, they're both thick line guys. And I've got my four weight with me and I've never caught a brook trout or anything. And, we go up to uh, like, we decide we're going to work our way up to the waterfalls and then work our way back down uh, the creeks um, from the waterfalls. The very first hole we see, I, uh, I try to do this like really slick bow and arrow cast and I mess it all up and I just like slap crap out of the water and a fish eats it. And I was like, oh, God, you know, I sat on it and it, I didn't get it. And I was like, I was super bummed. I was like, that might have been the only fish here, like my only <laughs> shot. And I was like, I just blew out this hole for everybody. And uh, it wasn't big. It's was like really, really skinny water. Well, we make it up to this waterfall and it's like the most majestic scene ever. You know, you just get you get lost in the Smokies. Absolutely lost. It, it, it's truly like during a different world. And we're fishing this waterfall and fish like at all. And we were all kind of getting bummed. And uh, this whole time, I'm like, I'm sweating like I've been watching cops. You know, it's just it's ridiculously humid and all this growth. And uh, we start working our way down. We start picking these little, you know, three inch, five inch, six, seven, eight inch brook trout, southern, southern strain uh, Appalachians. And they're just the most gorgeous, pristine little fish. And then it really occurred to me there that uh, I, I think that's when the conservation light really kicked on in my head. It's like that that was the moment for me where I, I really understood and uh, I had a lot more, uh, I think, respect there on. Uh, yeah, that's that's my fishing story. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's a good way to connect. It's also when you talk about that that cast, that bow, you know, I've done that. I Simon Gasworth, I'm probably butchering, he's an amazing cat like caster. I mean, look him up. He like goes around the world and takes people. He's like the best in the world. And he was at an event and he was like, here, like Lauren, let me show you how to do this. And I flopped so bad. And so um it's just like one of those people that you see and you're like, oh gosh, like 
the bow thing went totally south on my end, but like when it connects, it's, it's beautiful. And when you find beautiful places like that, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I know Brian, you have some pretty beautiful country in your neck of the woods too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm Brian Keachley. Uh, I'm the other half of working class fishing. I live in Oregon, so we got our big spread here. And, uh, I guess a good fishing story would, uh, you know, there's always a lot of them where things are uh, just kind of crazy and stuff. But uh, I think uh, my best one came this last summer. Um, I, I fly fish, but this was uh, in an offshore trip. We were we were out coho fishing um, offshore in, in a time that we call the coho rodeo um, out, out in the salt. And I had my daughter and one of my coworkers and really good friend of mine, who's a guide, uh, he was running the boat and he had his dad and a couple of his friends in there too. And we, uh, we punched out about 18 miles offshore. We we're running out and we hit the the fog bank. And, you know, first thing, the best omen of the day is when you see an ocean sunfish and we we're just out there as a real nice two foot swell, nice rolling kind of glassy water, really quiet. And, uh, the old ocean sunfish had a flipper up and it's just kind of like waving at us. And we're like, Oh, cool. Look at him. And then he just kind of went sideways and he did the submarine thing and just dove. And, and it was like, all right, cool. <laughs> I, I think, I, I think it's good omen when the sunfish waves at you. Um, I, I kept waiting to hear the whale spouting and everything else. Cause you get that out there in the fog, you'll hear, just hear the, you know, it'll blow out. And <laughs> there'll be a whale in the fog bank. So we drop all of our gear and we start trolling and uh, pretty soon start getting drive-bys by Sam and they're just coming in and they're crashing our gear. They're, you'll just hear whap, 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 you know, it, it, you know uh, drag bark off and you're jumping up to pull the rod out of the holder and we're just not sticking anything. And then we start sticking fish and we're doing pretty good. Uh, guys got on the VHF radio and they were like, hey, the, uh, we got a real rodeo about uh, six miles west or uh, east of where we were at. So we we're heading back towards shore. And we went back over there and we start trolling real quiet. And we're like, uh, these guys, these guys uh, duped us. They probably passed us another fog bank and they're out there fishing on our spot. And then we started a east to west troll. And all of a sudden it was like everything just broke loose. Every rod buried in the water at once. There's six rods, all of them buried in the water, screaming drag, lines crossing, um, two nets in the boat, people tripping over each other, trying to get to these fish and uh it was just the there there's fish flashing under the the water everything else on top of it we got a report that there was somebody that uh said that there was a shark in their gear too and then we also saw sea lions hanging out so we knew that this was a pretty target rich environment they start netting fish um and uh i had one on it it actually broke off the 40 pound test and took off <laughs> uh, it, it was just so juiced up and then we got a couple more, uh, ended up getting our boat limit in about three hours. It was a pretty <laughs> epic day of coho fishing. But what made the trip special was uh, that trip was my daughter's first time being offshore. But she also caught her first two salmon ever. And she'd went out and fished the rivers with me super hard. She just never gave up. and She stayed persistent. And as we all know, the offshore fishery is pretty hot for salmon. But I got to uh, actually you know, be there with her as she reeled in her first two, uh, ocean coho. And, uh, it was, it was definitely a, a life-changing experience for her. She really got the bug out of it. It was, it was pretty cool. As a fellow parent, as all of us are, it's really cool when you take your kids out and 
to enjoy something that means a lot to you and then they like succeed into it succeed in it and enjoy it like I I don't know like it I'm always like oh my gosh I'm doing something right or well there's like so much um healthy benefits to fishing and so there's parts of me that's like you know you can play basketball you can do running but at some point your body you know you're not going to be probably playing basketball when you're 40 you know you're you're going to be having to pick up something else so like when you can connect with the outdoors and I've said this on this podcast numerous times but I feel that when I'm outside in nature uh is the most clarity I have and like what I need to do with my life whether it's how I'm going to build a podcast, how I'm going to build a show, how I'm going to do some future edits. It's because my mind becomes so much more clear out in the open. So it's, it's a good place. So I think it's a really good um, habits that you're, you're building and, you know, going to your guys's podcast, what I like, what I really like about the working class fishing podcast is that it's so inclusive. Um, And I love the name working class podcast, because I think a lot of us relate. I mean, if, if, I mean, if you're, unless you're the 1%, you know, and you get, you have a lot of money, um, you probably don't need to listen to our podcast because you're probably going to be going out and about on charter boats on a yacht. (laughs) You don't need to hear sob stories about how hard it is to make time for these things because you have an assistant that does that. But if you're not the 1%, you guys bring a whole eclectic group of people and you bring them together, whether they're bait fishermen. Um, and that's, what's so great about you and John, you guys have both this knowledge and from Texas and from Oregon that really covers an array of species that you guys both really love. And I'd love to learn, uh, you know, John, why the, you know, and John, we've had John on the podcast before. John, your um, your background, you've you've worked really hard your entire life. You've served our country, and um, I'm just curious what came up with the name Working Class Fishing Podcast, and what that relates to you. To to me personally, or to us as a group. Well, for uh, you personally, and, and then and then yeah, like I would like how personally it means to you because I think Justin and I have a different interpretation of what the February room means to me. And as opposed to Justin, like for me, the February room is a place to like get out of the clouds and, you know, to escape. But I'm, I'm curious what the working class fishing podcast definition is for you. You know, for me, when I think working class, uh, of, of course I am working class. I mean, yeah, I was, um, I was in the army. I, I did eight years in the army. I did two years as a private contractor. I've been a, Afghanistan. I've been to Iraq. I've worked hard for everything I've ever gotten, you know, whether that's good or bad, (laughs) you know, and, uh, but working class is Americana. That, That is the very core, the very values that built America was the working class. And that's, that's a resounding notion with me. I absolutely love history, but I also love the fact that to reap any real reward or pleasure from what you do, you have to work hard at it. Um, There's very, very few people that were naturally blessed with any skill. (laughs) There's a few out there, you know, there's, there's some prodigies out there, but most of us not so much. And um, I I feel like the working class are the doers. Um, No, they're, they don't have time to fish all the time. Because they've got soccer games, they've got football games, they've got band practice, they've got dance recitals, they've got to go 
have tea parties with their little girls. Um, and then they've got to wake up at four 30 in the morning and get back to the tire factory to bust their backs and make a living, you know? So that, that notion, I'm a welder now. So, you know, that, that notion to me was, I don't always get to fish and we, we want to keep fishing accessible for everyone. We didn't want to, you know, we didn't want to, like you said, we're inclusive. We didn't want anyone to feel left out at all. So that, that's what working class fishing is to me. What about you, Brian? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, for me, uh, you know, I, I got into fishing when I was little and it was always a thing that I loved to do. And why it stuck with me so much was, um, my, my grandparents had me a lot when I was uh, younger, my dad had to work a lot. My mom wasn't necessarily in the best position to be able to take care of me. I guess I'll just leave it at that. But, um, anyways, so my dad had to work a lot. So my, my grandparents had me a lot. My grandparents lived in a very rural community here in Oregon, up in the mountains. Uh, and, and so, um, kind of a part of that whole thing was, um, I got to go fish a lot, but the, the reason why I got into the fishing so much was, um, our accessibility to water was easy. And the reason why it had to be easy was my grandma was disabled. She, she had multiple sclerosis. She was diagnosed when I was a baby and uh -huh. she really didn't have a lot of function of her hands and her, and her legs. I, I cannot recall a time when my grandmother walked in my entire life. Uh, she was always uh -huh. in a, like a chair or something like that. And my grandpa took care of my grandma after that diagnosis. And, but grandma always wanted to see me have fun and she had no problem going with me even if she couldn't walk she she could still kind of drive at that point when i was younger and so uh one of our family members owned a little corner market there uh, uh up the hood river valley and she would call ahead she's like hey can you have this stuff ready and brian needs some fishing tackle because we're going to go down here to the the river and go fish and uh he, he's going to need some night crawlers and hooks and split shot and everything else and i would go down there she's like okay honey go run in and get your stuff and so grandma would take me and she she would go park like you know you have that classic bridge with the water and everything else and she would park up there and uh she would she, we would get the lunch or whatever and she'd sit up there in the car and she'd watch me and i'd fish for like an hour and break off some stuff and maybe catch a couple trout and uh that that's kind of like how that all started it was like this first like big kid thing i could do is that independent deal and as I got older, um, and, and there was more people that were willing to mentor me, uh, I got more into like doing the salmon fishing and, and, uh, then I started swiping my dad's salmon gear, which he wasn't happy about, but did it anyways. And, uh, I'd go down to, we had a river only about 10 minutes from our house and I would sit there and fish and fish and fish and fish because it's really the only thing I, I wanted to do. I didn't want to go play video games. I didn't want to uh, go, you know, I mean, we built all the, the bike jumps and everything else, but I, I just loved fish. It was just something about being on the river and the water I love doing. And, um, so my wife and I got together and, uh, we like some of our dates were going down to the river and fishing or going up to the lake and fishing. And we, we would, you know, pretty much conventionally fish all the time, but, I also had acquired a fly rod when I was 13. It was a Christmas present. It was a really cheap one. And my dad said, you know, 
that's why you need this royal coachman. That'll, that'll catch everything in the river. And, and I know that just like puts the hackles up on everybody. But I said, what about a pair of waders? Yeah, he's like, you don't need no waders. Be a man. Go out there and wait. I don't care if it's 40 degrees out, you know? <laughs> so so dad, dad's telling me to go wade, wade in the chutes in early May, which, you know, it gets a little frigid. I, and I did it. I did it. You know, I didn't know any better. I'm like, dad, I don't, I can't feel my feet. He's like, be a man. You know, <laughs> that was, that was the old man. But, and even his friends, they're like, well, just take your shirt off. The sun will beat on your back. The top of you will be burned and the bottoms, you know, frozen. And, and I didn't know any better. So I was just cooking. like Winhoff style. Exactly. I was just like, all right. So I'm out there. Yeah, I'm 13. I'm, I'm like, you know, hanging up in trees. I learned a new language, uh, just like our friend uh, Ryan uh, uh, used to told us, like he learned how to cuss on the shoots. And you do because there's all those stupid willow trees and everything up and down. Or, or I, I don't even know if they're willows, but anyways, they're bushes and I've probably lost a hundred, you know, thousand dollars worth of flies in them. Nonetheless, <laughs> I learned how to fly cast and roll cast in that river on it, like a $20 rod with a plastic reel. Um, and, and it just hooked me, the passion of it hooked me. And so spent a lot of time fishing. I didn't put a lot into fly fishing until later on, but, um, just love fishing and that's why I, you know, I, I just kind of kept going with it, but I never really got into social media with it until like I got a lot older and I was busy raising my kids and taking them fishing and taking them hunting and taking them hiking and snowshoeing and mountaineering. And, you know, I did trail running and I, so I did everything outside and then, you know, I was like, okay, you know what, it's time to settle down. Maybe, maybe, uh, just kind of pick one thing to do. Cause it's also driving my wife crazy. Like, you want to go out and kayak, you want to go trail run, you want to go like do uh, tries and duo marathons and all this other stuff. And uh, she was like, can't you just do one thing? I was like, well, we'll do fishing. And, and now she's like, how many rods do you need? I was like, well, how many is too many? So, so uh, I, I kind of did that. And, uh, you know, this whole concept, uh, I guess, coming back to the whole working class thing, the whole concept of everything with it. And what I think of with working classes. I guess I go back and, and it sounds materialistic a little bit, but I think of my grandpa's tackle box, this old steel tackle box and grandpa in his flannel shirt and, and his old, you know, lager pants with a couple bottles of Heidelberg and, uh, you know, he, uh, a little ultra light rod with a spin reel and, uh, you know, some, some fried egg sandwiches and go up to the reservoir and going and dropping worms in the reservoir and sitting there with grandpa and fishing, playing in the dirt having a good time driving an old courier pickup up there you know with the dog boxes in the back and everything else and uh it just seems to me like i see more people like that in fishing than i do uh you know the people that are like like you were saying kind of in the one percenter category you know i see a lot more people like that out there and um I think fishing's for everybody. I don't care if you make a million dollars a year or you know, you're mowing lawns on the side, just, you know, to make a few extra bucks. I think it's for everybody. But the working class thing to me is, you know, it, it's all about everybody having an equal shot and equal respect in fishing. It, it's to not gatekeep it. It's not to, uh, make, you know, put up a perceived inaccessibility. Um, it's, it's this perceived inaccessibility. Like if you don't have thousand dollar waders and a thousand dollar rod and you know eight hundred dollars worth of flies and three different composite materials of leaders and everything else it's you know you can't go out and fish you can't go walk down the metolius river in a set of flip-flops 
with a hundred dollar rod and fish. You have to be like, you know, you have to go stop at like the fly shop down in Bend and get out your credit card and get that thing smoking in order to fit in. You know, fishing isn't like a fitting culture. It's not this, you know, vanity fair crap. You know, it's basically uh, fishing is something that anybody and everybody should be able to do. Little kids should be able to go down and catch bluegill at the park pond. And the big kids should be able to go get a rubber raft and go float down the river whenever they want and go you know, you know, fling flies if they want and catch, you know, pike minnow and trout and poke a steelhead for because if they're out there having fun, who doesn't deserve to hook a steelhead, you know? Uh, and, and uh, you know, for the adults that go out there and go out there with their kids, I think they all deserve a fair shot too, you know? But I don't think that there's anything that anybody should ever say to anyone that, you know, well, you can't do this because you don't have that. I think, I think fishing is like... Uh, you know, it's, it's for everybody. It's not, it's not just for one group of people, you know, fly fishing is for everybody. It Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what kind of rod you got. So yeah, you know, for me, that's, that's what working class and working class fishing means. It's like, I, we, we like, we absolutely love the people that are small, uh, the big people, you know, and the big people can help the small people and the small people can kind of ground the big people too. Without a doubt. I loved, um, first off, when you were talking about your grandma driving you, and I was totally tearing up. I mean, I, I'm in my basement with all this drywall and rubbing my eyes. Now I've got like white plaster <laughs> under my eyes. I just like that. That is just exactly like the dedication of like what love is and calling the shop. Oh my gosh, I'm going to start crying again. And I don't even know why. I'm like, God, my kids are upstairs banging. I'm just like, I stop it. But I think that's like so beautiful. I know. Oh my gosh. There'd be white dust everywhere. (laughs) It's just such a mess here. Like if people, people are always like, Lord, let me check out your February room. I'm like, give me a hot second. (laughs) It's, it's under construction. But the other thing that I really like what you said, Brian, is you, yes, you can wear flip-flops. You can have a piece of string with Velveeta cheese and you can go fishing. Um, you know, that's how I learned, uh, to go fishing was, um, at my cabin in Wisconsin. And I thought I was the best angler ever was by putting cheese on my fly with just a hook with my, you know, string cheese and feeding, you know, the sunfish and, you know, and I think when you start it off just because of compassion of like what you love to do, it grows so much bigger and hearing about your grandparents. I think we all can relate to that tin box with our grandparents, especially. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com waypoint. That's mintmobile.com waypoint. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com waypoint. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. You know, if you're in 80s, 80s baby you know 80s 70s 60s Justin depending what what, you know what year but like yeah that's something that is very visual and you guys 
I have to say, Brian and John, you guys are authentically genuine when it comes to supporting people in the fly fishing industry, which is 100% so hard. When you said gatekeeper, I was like, yes, fly fishing can so feel like a gatekeeper. Like, oh, do you know so-and-so? Do you, um, it can feel very hard. It can be a very exclusive group to try and join. And, and so um, I really enjoyed all those words and your genuine enthusiasm for supporting people. And you guys do such a great job, like with your social media, which is not easy to do, but you guys are always like giving people high fives. And it's so, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's like working class, giving people, you know, high fives, like great job. Keep (laughs) keep up the good work. You guys are never like, So yeah, nice, nice job with that interview. I just want to let you know, um, they came on our podcast last week. No, no, you did good. No, it was just, I just wanted to let you guys never say anything. You guys, every time I say something, you guys are like, great job, Lauren. I'm like, thanks. Like, no, I really needed to hear it. And I'm trying to be as good at like reciprocating good feedback because good feedback feels good. You can't go wrong with good feedback and you guys do such a good job. I think at one point, Brian, you try to, try to group us all up together <laughs> it actually went horribly wrong that was a resounding <laughs> failure yeah you were like i can't get more phone calls um you were trying to like do this like whole collaboration of create content creators which was so beautiful but that's like you genuinely wanted us all to come together and like support each other and then it kind of just went a little bit who has a good fishing spot and you're like i think we're missing <laughs> i think we're missing the point but that's just like with the working class podcast, you did such, let's all come together. Like, that's what I love about the energy that you genuinely have. Well, full disclosure, that whole thing was like the sequence of Thelma and Louise, where they both pulled their John <laughs> and I, and I just stepped on the pedal and we flew off and it had the cool music. It was done. Like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. This just like totally pissed our friends off. And like, uh, then I think I messaged you. I'm like, Hey, so, uh, you know, I'm going to do something on a little smaller scale. You're like, that's okay. You know, and and I don't blame you. I don't blame you because, because I'm like, I told John, John's like, dude, that was a lot of people. That's all John said. It wasn't like, dude, you're a dumbass, you know, but it was like, dude, that was a lot of people. And I was just over here. I'm like, why are these guys have to be doing all this stuff with all their fishing pictures? This is supposed to be like, Hey, I got this idea. Hey, this hashtag. Work. Blah, 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 you know? that, that, that was the idea. It's like, okay, we, we really scaled that back, but you know, it's oh. our little secret society. It's like the Illuminati or something. And yeah. so you guys have a weekly podcast and I, um, first off, that's a lot of work. I don't, I think people hear that, oh, they put a podcast every week. There's so much energy that goes into it. For our listeners, Brian and John, how do you guys know each other? How does a guy from Texas, how does a guy from Oregon become friends and, and start a podcast? You tell well, that story, John. Yeah, it was uh, it was Christian Mingles. No, uh, <laughs> I thought it was no, uh, feet first or whatever. Something like that. Yeah. No, uh, so Brian used to do an outdoors podcast and he always, you know, he kind of, he kind of says like, oh, we don't, we don't talk about that anymore. It's like talking about Voldemort from, fuck, oh, from, uh, sorry, I almost dropped the F-bomb from Harry Potter. 
And uh, oh, I thought you said we can't say Voldemort. I'm like, oh, it's like a real thing. You can't say his name. Uh, we had a mutual um, acquaintance on there, and then uh, kind of started talking to Brian. And then you know, Brian was talking about guests, and I was like, dude, I'll I'll come on. I'll I'll talk fishing, and we talked fishing, and you know, we we stayed. We just kept that uh, line of communication going and really built a really good, strong friendship. That's that's kind of how we know each other. And then the podcast kind of came about in a Walmart checkout line. It was like this this punk rock. We didn't care what anyone thought. We still really don't care what anyone thinks, to be honest. But, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, we're uh, I think uh, we've got a, a broader horizon now. But I was really pissed at this fly shop uh in texas i won't drop any names because that's not professional but there is this fly shop in texas that really really pissed me off because i was genuinely looking for information it was when i i've only been fly fishing for like two years you know i'm, I'm still a spring chicken all this stuff and uh it was a simple question you know i said i really want to wade this creek and it's like a famous creek here for fishing you know, it's got like Mayan cichlids and all kinds of like really unique, awesome fish here in Texas. And I said, do I need felt wading boots or can I just wear my rubber ones? Because I have this $12 pair of wading boots that have rubber soles on them. And that's what I've worn for two years. I literally just got my first pair of felt wading boots for Christmas. How I heard about this shop, you know, was from uh, social media. And they're like, if you contact us and you told us to your family and when they didn't get back to me for seven days quite literally seven days then they said oh we'll get right back to you um i felt a little betrayed you know i was like that's false advertising <laughs> and i'm talking to brian i'm like dude i just want to know what what boots to wear i was like this is ridiculous like i'm not going to go pay them money for them to talk to me like I just genuinely wanted this information for safety, to be safe. Like, I'm totally new to this. And, you know, we were both talking about it. Like, let's just start a podcast, dude. And let's put that kind of information out. Let's, uh, let's make this a resource for everybody. You know, thick and thin, whoever, whoever wants to listen. Let's make this a genuine source of information for newer anglers or experienced anglers. Uh, and just let's get it out there. And that's, that's kind of how working class fishing started. Really. Have, have you guys fished together? No, no. not yet. What? Yeah. What? Mind yeah. is blown. You guys, when that comes together, we should do like some quickly, like slow, not quickly. It's gonna be like slow mo. John walks into the picture frame. Brian comes walking in with his beard and he blows it across his shoulder. <laughs> Take a slow-mo cast. You guys look in each other's eyes. Catching gar, you know, is like this, we can this totally, this, is, this will be your first working class uh, video. And it's you guys holding right, hands is, at the is, very end. <laughs> Is it? Are we going like Brokeback Mountain? Or are we going like a Brokeback Mountain? Of course. <laughs> I ain't spooning. <laughs> you are spooning. Well, at the no. end, you're just like. <laughs> I don't think I don't think John had lost scratch of the beard on his back. To be honest with you, but, you know. I'm, I'm, well, let I'm me, all right. Man. 
Let me know when it happens, though, because I'll be hiding in the bushes filming everything. (laughs) You know, you'll be like, oh, we'll put we'll put on the fly fishing film tour when Brian and John find. Oh, that would be epic, (laughs) wouldn't it? No, we could put on like Daisy Dukes and like old Budweiser shirts and. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you guys too would be a beautiful working class couple. (laughs) Just give me a hard time. I, I I heard this the coolest. I, I've got to tell this because I'm going to forget this if I don't. I heard like the coolest story. This dude was he used to live in Alaska and he was talking to me. He's a real he's he's an old crotchety trucker, right? Like super Those old. Those are guy. the best. Those are the best. Sometimes. And he was like sometimes. <laughs> he's like yeah, I lived in Alaska for like 40 years. I was like oh dude, that's awesome. And uh, you know I was kind of talking about some places I want to fish like the Salmon Forest and the Kenai Peninsula and. Uh, um there's a lodge up there i want to go visit to uh, see some friends and he was like yeah we used to go catch northerns up there and he's like uh it was me and my buddies and we we're out there we had this budweiser can and uh we smashed it and we put a hook through it and we were absolutely lacing northern pike on it and he was we sent the video to Budweiser. this is the best commercial ever you know like they're gonna they're gonna put this in a commercial and he's like he and then i saw like the life just come from his eyes and he had like the thousand yard stare it looked like someone you know someone had killed his dog and he's like oh god and he's like and they didn't use it <laughs> i was like no <laughs> hey maybe budweiser's listening right now they're like you know what we're turning this around we're gonna make that come that dream come true it would be so vintage and awesome now though but anyway sorry <laughs> i'm just- I was, I was maybe you could do it though john you got the mustache you could totally do that you could pull off an old a, 1970s beer can catching yeah, northern pike it has to be like a lacroix or something lacroix is um, even better lacroix is the I way it is. or you know what though there's like so many non-alcoholic beer these days that's even like it's so good like i mean there's uh what is there um uh O'Doul. i mean but O'Doul's been around forever there's like this new non-athletic <laughs> uh, athletic beer is what they call it right because if you're an athlete you don't drink beer which guys are look at you fly fishing athletes so but no i think it's i think that's like you know when you have good ideas like we were all just saying like when you're kind of in a place where you're outdoors like that's where all my good ideas come from and so even Justin will sometimes be like, Lauren, you need to go outside. You need to like go for a hike. You need to go fishing or do something. Um, but no, I love it that, that that's a good story. That's a good story, John. I really enjoy it. And what are you doing, Brian? Right now I'm like looking at Brian doing something. By oh, I'm tying egg loops. Yeah, I'm tying oh. egg loops as I'm listening. So I'm, I'm just patiently waiting my turn. I'm tying egg loops and pegging beads. So um, yeah. Oh, okay. And what um, will, what will, what, what do you hope that will catch? Like, what, it, what are you rigging that up for? Why well, I ain't hoping it is going to catch. It's going to catch some steelhead. That's what it's going to catch. <laughs> when are you going to be, are you going to go steelhead fishing anytime soon? Well, I went last weekend and I went this morning and I'll probably go tomorrow morning and I'll probably go Saturday morning. And then we're going to go float the river for eight hours Sunday. And then maybe Monday I'll go fish again. <laughs> I love it. Okay, you know, the one thing, so when Justin and I, I've never done, we've never done the egg thing before until we went to Alaska. And, you know, we went with uh, one of Justin's friends, an amazing outfit there. And he's like, have you guys fished with eggs before? I'm like, no. And he just like opens up his fly box (laughs) and there's so many different colors. And 
and it was a different it was a different method of casting like I would never say like that's you know you don't cast as if you're fly fishing right like you throw the line behind you and like when you think you need to cast forward you don't you just wait a few more minutes wing it forward and you know I caught on our Alaska trip biggest rainbow I've ever caught in my entire life that was on, a huge a, yeah on on the egg and um I have to say I was like you know he's like let's let's take a picture of my- <laughs> Did I catch it? I mean, I took it. I was really excited, but I was like, it just felt like I did not struggle hard enough in my life, particularly to catch this fish. And I know that sounds really weird. And I was like, maybe I need to go see a therapist. The fact that like the only time I think I deserve <laughs> to catch a fish is if it was the hardest conditions, it didn't eat my fly a hundred times. And then I caught it. It just felt too good to be true. And like later on the trip, Justin, and I did our own do-it-yourself style. And you know, we're swinging flies, which is more, you know, fly fishing style. And it was really hard. Like, you know, like the point where like, man, like we're screwing this up. Like, we don't know what we're doing. And then you catch one. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so good. Like <laughs> my favorite fish was not the big rainbow that I caught. And I don't know if that is something mentally wrong with me, which I need to probably go talk to, like I said, a therapist, because if it comes too easy for me, I don't think I deserve it. <laughs> like, I'm like, I need to have the fish that didn't really want it but I somehow I tricked into having it catch wouldn't you agree I don't know what, what do you feel Brian tell me about your what you love about the eggs I, I do need to know what I them. love about eggs they they work that's the best thing about them so full disclosure I'm going with a modeled uh cerise and a cerise right now that's what I'm that's what I'm tying on these ones but I can have a modeled orange I can have a modeled red I could have a, you know, a clear red. I could be throwing a, a translucent with like a blood dot, anything like that. And there again, for the fly fishing people there, you know, this is going to be like, this guy's speaking a different language, but um, fish key in on round objects. It's it's just known because fish like to eat eggs. That's, that's their thing. And um, this time of year right now around our parts, we have coho, spring chinook and summer steelhead all interdispersing spawning all over this is like their time of year to spawn which means there's going to be a lot of eggs in the river and and now we have our winter steelhead coming into the systems and it's slow and and it starts to amplify you know right now it's slow but it's just fun to go float in a boat anyways and go you know drift some beads through a run but we're, we're throwing it because it's it's like you know, today's special is eggs. Tomorrow's special could be a, uh, uh, you know, a uh, stonefly, like a size six stonefly, because all the eggs are gone. You know, the whitefish and the suckers and uh, sculpin have ate all the the eggs. So it's like, hmm, what am I going to eat next? What's it? What what is that that steelhead going to have on his palate? And it, then it could be, uh, you know, uh, for the conventional guy, it could be a nightmare jig, which mimics that very um, bug. You know, uh, on under conventional gear. And you could, you know, then it's like, okay, well, and then we start getting terrestrial insects that start, well, not, I shouldn't say terrestrial, but uh, I'm thinking back to my high school biology and my teacher would be banging his head, but I believe they called a worm, a terrestrial annelid. I, I can't remember exactly, but what I do know is, is like worms fall in the river and steelhead like to eat night crawlers. That's why I caught my first steelhead on was a night crawler, by the way. Anybody's like, they don't eat night crawlers. Oh yeah. They'll choke them down to their throat. 
Um, uh, Light. I can say that. Yeah. It's like gulp gone. They're like, Oh, that was an easy meal. And then all of a sudden you're like, what's this in my throat? You know? And then they're like tail walking across the run and ripping. I six wish maybe they'd want to eat worms. Like, I feel like that's the one thing. Like, I feel like all fish would probably eat a worm. Maybe I'm wrong there, oh. but like. Come oh, on. I, I, I hundred percent agree with that. I took, I took rubber grubs like offshore and the, and the rockfish. It's gotta yeah. be like spaghetti it, for them. Who doesn't like spaghetti? Yeah. It's vegetarian. I, that's, that, There's, yeah. <laughs> that's a fact, but yeah. fact. can we yeah. do gar John? Can we throw some, 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 uh, night crawlers? Gar? Gar? Yeah. You know, um, let's do it. Let's test it. Yeah. I mean, for science. It's science. Yeah, I know they definitely eat a crap ton of bait fish and minnows. I mean, I'm sure there's like the occasional bycatch and they're mm, delicious. You know, they're like, mm, this is the best savory snack I've ever had and it's a night crawler. But I don't I don't think they're actively going after them. All right. Oh, sorry. Didn't mean to cut you off, Ryan. Continue. No, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> Spaghetti you know, got us. <laughs> well, no, uh, John and I have often had this conversation about crossover like baits and and flies and tackle and stuff like that and and john's like dude i bet it'll catch a fish and i'm like and i'll tell him something i'm like dude i bet that'd catch a fish i was like you think you could go float a wad of eggs under a, a bobber and catch something he's like oh yeah there's all kinds of stuff that's everything down here in texas but the thing is is that a lot of our fishing techniques that we use up here now originated in the midwest and the south that's and and people don't there's people that are like oh no you know, the, the marabou jig was always a steelhead thing. And it's like, no, actually, it wasn't. The marabou jig was for bass. And actually, one of our good friends, Randy, uh, he he commented on a post I put up the other day. And he, he mentioned one of our good friends in there and said, see, doesn't that break your heart that a marabou jig was originally meant for bass? Because our friend that didn't necessarily care for bass. Uh, she's, she's not a bass fan, but it, it's just kind of, you know, here, I'm going to cut you and I'm going to dump salt in the wound and I'm just going to rub it in really good because you don't like bass and the rest of us do. Uh, yeah. So, um, it, it's always interesting though, because I think that, man, there's so many crossover things like, uh, Bobber Doggin. Yeah. There there's one, you know, basically drift fishing with the indicator. That's, that's what Bobber Doggin is. And, you know, how many fish get caught on a drift, you know, uh, you know, just throwing bait out there, throw a bobber on it. And then you can actually see when the fish takes the hookup rates through the roof. I mean, it's, it's deadly effective or, you know, there again, John's talking about using chatterbait on coho, you know, go out playing a chatterbait. Didn't get a chance to do that, Don, but, um, <laughs> definitely, did, you know, instead of it, I don't know if he did or not, uh, oh, but to find out. yeah, uh, you know, we, we use twitching jigs for coho. Uh, which is which is another awesome thing. You know, it's this big ball of zonker and marabou, you know, with a five eight sled head, and you pitch it out there and just whap, whap, whap. And then all of a sudden your rod loads up and it rips drag and uh it's just like, you know, getting jackhammered by a really big bass. That's what it's like. And uh but in the same context, finesse jigs and you know, football heads and all that, we use them on bass all the time. So all these things catch fish, fish react to all kinds of different stuff. Then you got the fly equivalents of all that same same exact stuff you know you can you can throw these long leaders and you can drift eggs and it's you know people feel like eggs are like mop flies you know they're like those those are junk flies and they are junk <laughs> flies but you know what they, they catch the crap out of fish and um if you're having a really tough day and you're not just there for the scenery maybe 
maybe put on a mop fly, maybe put on an egg, you know, but um, twitching jigs are just the bunny leeches of the conventional world. It's the same exact thing. Bunny leeches and twitching jigs are tied the exact same way, except one's on a jig head and one's got sculpting heads or is like dumbbell eyes and stuff like that. It's the same exact thing. Well, and, and, and on that too, I mean, some of these fish are just getting beaten to shit. And so I think sometimes you need to throw something that these fish haven't seen. I mean, went fishing with my girlfriend and I just, you know, we put on uh, a fly that I was like, this thing, you know, she, she forgot her sunglasses. So I was like, shoot, like, all right, I'm just gonna put on a big old bug. Like, I mean, it wasn't even, uh, you know, the it was like hopper season. So I just put on something that was even just godly huge, but I, I knew she could see it. Like, and sure enough, she catches the biggest fish on the trip. Cause I think this fish has been like seeing all these hoppers, low profile, high profile. And then there's just like this big old floating, like what was it big Eddie? <laughs> I think it was called big Ed. I think it's what the fly was called. It was Damn. huge. And like this fish catches and she catches it. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, obviously this fish has seen because i had just done that i had done that run you know and i was using just the regular uh hoppers that were you know catching like your you know standard size brook trout for and then she just catches this monster and i was like that that fish was sick of seeing all the stuff that were thrown at it and so sometimes throwing something that these fish haven't seen on a day-to-day -day basis, um, I think it has higher potential of you catching that monster fish. And that's the thing, like you have the potential to catching a bigger fish because I think these bigger fish get a little bit smarter and they're like, I've, I've seen that bug. Yeah, I know what fly yeah. shop you went to. I know, like, I see your lie. <laughs> you dumbass. Like, I am not going to eat that. <laughs> and then you catch that big fish and then you, have, you get to talk to your therapist about it. Yeah, um. <laughs> but, uh, I, I, I think I think if you buy anything from John or Amy Hazel on the lower to shoots, the fish have seen it like a million times. So I, I mean, sorry, John, Amy, I can come buy stuff from your shop because they've seen your flies too many times. No, I'm kidding. I just... <laughs> we like to we like to throw some shade too. We like to have a good time. Um, oh, yeah. Like I said, I, I, you know, I know it's running late and uh, we all have family that we need to take care of and attend to this evening but i do want our listeners take a listen to the working class fishing podcast um before we even started this podcast i think what's so great is you and john have such good chemistry that it brings such an inviting um guest to come in feel comfortable not feeling like it's such a one-on-one -on -one intimate thing which sometimes can be a bit intimidating except if you're talking to me or justin we're very inviting i'm just joking but you guys have such good chemistry and it's, um, it, it's, it's welcoming. It's not, you guys tell great jokes. It's a good way to like hear good people tell fishing stories, learn a little bit more about things that they don't really know about, um, across, you know, across country. And so, um, and we've become friends through, through social media and, I just think that you guys are just genuine in the sport and genuine when it comes to bringing people together to come fishing, even if sometimes we bring too many people together and then we just restart again. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, exactly. and if people are wanting to listen or reach out, you guys are very active and you guys really, you don't take seven days to respond to anyone. 
So uh, maybe give a little bit of information, Brian, about how people can reach out to the Working Class Fishing Podcast. Yeah. So uh, if anybody wants to check us out, of course, you can always find us through uh, Lauren or Justin. You can uh, reach out to them and be like, who are those guys that you have on that episode working? What They'll know exactly where to find us. But if you're listening to this, you can find us on the same exact listening platforms that you find Lauren and Justin, the February room on. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, Google, uh, Radio Public. Uh, let's see, what else? There's there's uh, Amazon. Hey, Amazon. Music. <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, iHeartRadio. I um, so, uh, but the best way to get in touch with us, there's a couple different ways. One is, is people can always email us at workingclassfish at gmail.com, or you just look us up on the socials. We're really active on Instagram and you look us up under working class fishing podcast. And that's where you're going to have your best opportunity to get a hold of us. That's where we have our longest fall base. That's where everything started. That's like our ground zero. You can always get a hold of us on Instagram through working class fishing podcast. You can just follow. Um, typically if, if, we're, you're not in our network it's going to go to like a request box really try hard to keep an eye on that but there again i'm always tagging lauren and justin and a whole bunch of stuff and they'll like stuff and then i tag a whole bunch of other people i'm like hey check this guest out you're going to really like him or you know go support lauren and justin on their podcast or go support this other podcast or whatever else you you can always uh you know leave us a message and john and i will work our hardest to get that happy as fast as we can and we really pride ourselves on that as uh trying to stay in touch with everybody and uh not just be like a uh fly-by-night deal where it's like oh hey thanks for the follow and we're gonna ignore you we we really want to support everybody so yeah just reach out to us through one of those uh platforms and that's how you get a hold of us go to the februaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests their fishing stories and favorite fly patterns we're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at the The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.